This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 91. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you can Hello and welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture Goodfellas one cultivating minute at a time. I'm Ron Richards and with me is Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And Josh Flanagan. Hello. And also with us, we're very excited to have a special guest this week, uh, Mr. Greg Young from the Bowery Boys podcast. How you doing, Greg? 
Greetings from New York City, or, or in, in specific, Brooklyn, and actually not that far from a few so- shots that have been used in the movie. So, uh, so I'm coming to you from, from Brooklyn. <laughs> Great to be here. Great. Yeah, no, we are all huge fans of the Barry Boys podcast and recommended oh. to anybody who likes New York City, and you guys do a I, great job. When you said Brooklyn, I, I just instantly in my head heard Brooklyn. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm actually calling you from the 17th century, Brooklyn. I'm actually from like a small shrimp boat off the, on, the, on, the, on the shore. Anyway, no, I'm, those hipsters are getting out of control over there. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that through the life of the Goodfellas Minute podcast, we have made references to Robert Moses, but none to Peter Stuyvesant. So we're hoping. So we're crossing oh, our fingers. Could, you could though. There's a scene. I know that there's a scene in a court in a courtroom, and, and be, behind him in the courtroom, there's a, a map of New Amsterdam. <laughs> Let's just get right into it. Uh, this minute starts with Maury telling Henry that, that this is going to make the Air France Hall look like peanuts, and it ends with everybody loves stacks. <laughs> this was like the Basil exposition of like of the minutes, right? I mean, literally, it was just a minute of like describing what's about to happen, pretty much, right? It, it really is. I mean, it's really this because oh, it could be said that that this what we're about to go into, which is the Lufthansa heist, is like the the keystone of the movie, right, guys? No, no, you don't think so. We've talked about this. It's it's the Billy Bats murder. Oh yeah, I guess so too. Well, no, that's the turning point. But this is the well, big, this is the big heist. I think what you're doing here is so he's just gotten out of prison. He's reestablished himself. Henry is, is you know, he's down. He's got his Pittsburgh connection. And now we're getting introduced to who the crew is now and what they're doing. So this is this is the reintroduction of Henry's professional life. Right. That's kind of how I look at it. And so how it's, it's different it's, since he went to prison. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So these, who, are these, who are these people? Yeah. Johnny Roast Beef. This is a new person. Joe Buda. That kind of thing. I like Joe his Buda. nickname. <laughs> I, I like how the, what the movie does. And, in fact, it does it in this minute where it does frame it – um, it mentions Air France and then talks about Lufthansa being, you know, this is going to be even bigger. And it was. But it's sort of like Air France got them started and the Lufthansa height will be the beginning of the end for them. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting is, you know, is the fact that, of course, a lot of the same in real life for the Air France heists and included a lot of the same people who are in the Lufthansa. So the people, so when he goes down the list, a lot of those people were actually involved in the original um, Air France robbery, which was in 1967. Right, because it, it was all in their turf by, J, by JFK Airport. I mean, that was, the, that was their, we, we, yeah, that was their kind of, whenever, the, whenever they're bored, they robbed the airport. <laughs> Before we move on to the, the crew and all that's going, we're going to finish up in, uh, in Henry's horrible, horrible home, uh, just real quick. <laughs> yeah. And I think that one of the things that's interesting here is that Maury, like he's, He's salivating, but at the same time, he's so excited he can't contain himself. Yeah. He's just thrilled. But he says something that, that I guess Jimmy owes Maury 20000 nope. No, I looked, at, I looked into this. Okay, because yeah, I thought, well, that's, that's drastically different than the last thing we saw. Well, yeah, because this is what, what this is uh, what, the 30 seconds that we see of Maury talking to Henry and asking Henry if Jimmy's going to go through with it or not. This 30 seconds represents a large chunk of information. Yes. And and again, what we've seen them do in the movie time and time again is that we're seeing we're getting bits that are that trace back to what really happened. Mm-hmm. But don't explain it to us in the movie audience because it doesn't change the story. You know, um, it's all that gribzing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what he's referring to here is actually the origin of the Latanza heist, which is the fact that, um, as we know, Maury owned the wig shop, but he was also a, uh, a bookmaker. He was in gambling. And he had a client, this guy by the name of Lewis Werner, 
who worked at Lufthansa and uh, had a very bad gambling problem. And in fact, he's the one who owned Maury twenty thousand dollars. Marty, if we're gonna oh. call him by there, I mean. Oh, Marty, yeah, sorry, Marty Krug or Maury, Krug, yeah, Marty, yeah. Marty Krugman. <laughs> so he owned Martin Krugman twenty thousand dollars, and basically he had run up such a big gambling debt. But the only reason why Krugman let him keep on gambling was because he knew he worked at the airport, and that they would milk these guys, knowing that they would give him a tip every, you know, sooner or later. That's good earning. That's yeah. That's excellent gangster so, work. So so when when Maury is is squeezing his fists in excitement and he says I've been cultivating this, I've been bleeding this son of a bitch for two years. It's because this guy's been stringing him along for two years with the hopes that he'll give him a tip like this and he hit the jackpot now. I mean, isn't it kind of cool that this what what the the screenplay does for this movie is it takes from history, it takes things that actually happened, but doesn't use all of it, but yep. may but may make reference that makes references to things. So those people who do know it, you know, like you, you will will trigger an actual, you know, oh, this is what actually happened, but it's paralleled here in the movie, and you don't need to know any more about it. You yep. know, I mean, it's it's kind of comes and goes. But it adds this extra texture. Like you know that there's so much more going on in the background when you when you hear a scene like this. Yeah. And they, they, and I, what what really threw me off and and I I I want to I, I rewatched the this minute over and over again because because I because I know what the Lufthansa heist is, but they never actually say what it is. Well, yeah, it all happens off screen. Yeah, it all happens off screen. No, no, but not not actually the not actually the heist itself. But what is the source of the money? I mean, much like Air France. It was untraceable money that was brought over. You know, it was American currency brought over from Europe um, after being exchanged by servicemen and tourists. The same thing as Air, Air France, yeah. but it was a lot more of that money. But they never even say that in this bit. It's not no, important. This actually, yeah. yeah, it kind of, yeah, it kind of isn't. It's almost like a MacGuffin in a way. But it's, it's really, it was like almost six million dollars, and then, and but it was not just cash. It was, yeah. it was jewelry too, right? And so it was yeah. all this stuff that was. From tourists, right? It was West Germany, right? Yep. It was the money that Lufthansa was keeping for them to make these exchanges. That's, so that's what it actually was. The funny thing is, because of the Air France heist, which of course they had been involved with, you know, you you also even you can even sense it, even though they barely spend any time in the movie, how much more like intense the security was because with Air France, they basically just like got a copy to security guard's key yep. and like lured him with a prostitute right it was yeah, like in and out. really yeah, did it right <laughs> but with the Lufthansa it was actually quite a terrifying in real life the actual Lufthansa heist was actually quite terrifying because you know they were like tied people up someone was badly injured i mean it was like a it was 10 times the the heist that the early one had and you know part of it is because JFK was like oh well maybe we need to beef up our security cuz this is going to keep happening right and 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 part and also this Lewis Werner guy who gave him the tip also figured out like knew the, the way there's the, those ad, those advanced security options would mm-hmm. work and explained it to Mo- to Martin or to Maury who then explained it to Henry and Jimmy and then that's how they did it and you know it's fascinating to see you know what the comments of the people who were involved in it saying it was like they knew how we worked already because they had such that so many people on the inside telling them what to do but we'll get to, we'll get to that when we talk about the heist yeah. itself but mm-hmm. you guys got anything else on on Maury here on excited I, movie I, I just want to point out that as we've seen time and again in this movie, Henry is an excellent Maury handler. He's a Maury whisperer. <laughs> he knows exactly. He's good with it. That's his thing. It seems he can talk people down. He's like a producer in a film. He just he's makes sure everybody's yeah. happy. Everybody's on, everybody's on schedule, on budget. <laughs> and finally, I just I just want to appreciate Maury's 
well, ultimately, unattainable dream of no more nut. <laughs> uh, and for those of you at home who aren't sure what the nut is, I kind of don't want to tell you. I want to let you just imagine it. But he's talking about he's got to kick up weekly. It's uh, Henry referred to it earlier. Fuck you, pay me. Yeah. You got to pay every week. Business is good, whatever. You got to pay. You want to get out from under that. But if there was a mafia, and I'm not saying there is. Right. I, I believe you're not allowed to retire. Well, if he closed his shop, he can't. You know. Well, yeah, he yeah if he if he got a lot of money, he would close his shop, move to Florida, and they never hear from him again. Yeah, he wouldn't have to keep paying. Could, can you closed. do that? The, the business is closed. As long as you aren't implicitly involved in something or and uh-huh. or threatened to go to the cops, they'll leave you alone. People, that said, people are driven out of business all the time by the mafia. Yeah. That sounds incredibly reasonable. Yeah, but that said, so I guess they can't just keep chasing failed business owners forever. Right. Yeah. And and that said, Martin Krugman in real life did once say, "I'm going to go to the cops," and that's what made Jimmy hate yes. him for the rest of his life. We're so. going to get to how stupid he is tomorrow. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, that's, that's the thing to keep in mind. Also, is is uh, I was when I was you know rewatching this whole movie, and I, I was almost like making certain comparisons with his character in Devito. Right, so Joe Pesci's character is also this. It's a different kind of ticking time bomb, but they both are like. They're both heading in like these like weird directions, and so it, with Maury, we see him being completely. The first time we see him, he's you know being beat up, and <laughs> sort of gains power throughout this. But he's still kind of a whiner, and which is the problem. Well, he's on the outside. That's the problem. Yeah. He, and, he, and he wants to be on the outside to act like he's on the inside. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That was in the book that he yep. was so excited just to be part of the gang. Yeah, and I think there was a, there was a mention of him actually like he just loved sitting at the bar with Jimmy. I think yep. there's a reference to being elbow to elbow in the bar talking, you know, their, about their heist. He just loved being a part of that. Like, and he, he ne- like he never, Frenchie he, for Air France. Yeah, he never he never realized that Jimmy was slowly slowly simmering with hate. <laughs> <laughs> De Niro hate. That's so, just a failure at reading people. Speaking yeah. of Jimmy, can we just go on? And all I have to say here is Jimmy's well, gray hair. I'm not up to that part yet. So oh oh, oh back in oh, the house. Oh. Uh, the fun fact for the episode is that Maury mentions that this is going to make Air France look like peanuts. <laughs> well, uh, Charles Schultz created 17,897 peanut strips between 1950 and 2000. By this time. Yeah. Wow. Archie. <laughs> this week, you're going to have a lot of stretching on the fun facts. Well, I have a fun fact that's going to come up in a couple of minutes after we talk about when we move to the bar. But I actually, I, didn't, I, I, was, I was glad we would have the same fun fact, Connor. So. I, I can't imagine we would. <laughs> All right, so we move to the bar and uh, it, you know, jump cut to the crew that's going to do the heist. And this is our first scene at, Ro- at, at Robert's Lounge, which is the bar that Jimmy owned. Previously before this, we all the bar scenes were at the suite which was Henry Hill's joint, mm-hmm. and then you might remember that he got rid of it before he went to prison. Uh, this is the famed Roberts uh, where, uh, where many bodies are buried. <laughs> um, Literally. Literally. Not, not a Literally. metaphor. Yeah, but what's interesting, so Robert's Lounge in real life, it was owned by Jimmy Conway, and it was located at 114-45 Lefferts Boulevard in South Ozone Park, of course, near JFK. And what's interesting about the, the, the movie version of Roberts was filmed at a place called Nears Tavern. Yeah. Do you, do you know Nears? Oh, Nears is, they always, call, they always call it the oldest tavern in New York that you've never heard of. Because it really is, it traces itself back to the mid-19th century. It was opened, there used to be like a big racetrack over there. So it used to sort of cater to the needs of the people who were who went to the racetrack. But it has this really long history. The place is still open. Like so many of these old bars, they bring up all of these like 
weird stories that like, yes, Mae West performed here when she was a teenager and, <laughs> and Fred Trump used to come here and drink. So D- Donald yes. Trump's father used to come to New to York. But anyway, so it has this like, it's like a McSorley's kind of place where it's like, well, we don't know if 100% of those stories are true, but we'll go along with it because it adds with, to the environment. So it's really interesting that they chose that bar, actually. Well- well, what's interesting is that uh, Nears Tavern, not only in terms of being a historical you know, landmark, has leveraged itself with Hollywood in terms of making itself available for movies. And so it, it was, you know, they filmed Goodfellas here, as we, as we saw, but they also filmed that movie Tower Heist with Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yes. They, they filmed there. Um, it was on some show called New York Originals. Like it's, it, so they've, they've done their best to, to stay modern with it. But what I love about Nears is that if you go to their website, the tagline for Nears Tavern is, it's a true, unpretentious, historic gem. <laughs> that is that is pretty true, but I mean, when someone says they're un- when someone says they're unpretentious, that usually doesn't mean that's the case. Exactly, but. I feel like you can't say you're unpretentious. Right? Like, that's so cool. That, yeah, exactly. that allows them to be cool, yet also allow filming there. Yeah. If, if you want to go to Nears, it's located uh, on 78th Street and 88th Avenue in Woodhaven, Queens. And you know, by the way, it's funny how many places in this movie are actually still around and, you know, weren't just sets that got burnt down, you know, like, like, uh, like a few of them. But I like that this is one of them. And you can, you can sort of fashion your own little Goodfellas tour if you want to. Oh, absolutely. In fact, in fact, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash GFM, and if we earn enough money, we would host a tour of New York City's filming oh, locations. Awesome. <laughs> but sadly, I don't think that's going to happen before the movie ends. So, oh, well, <laughs> all of our listeners missed out. <laughs> keep paying into it afterwards we'll see what happens yeah. i'm not promising anything but you know i love this location because this is like so many like a bunch of my favorite scenes happen at this location and even like you wonder you know i'm sure they they, they do their hollywood magic with the set dressing but even in the background the, the black and white photos of the polo grounds mm-hmm. and like in one point I, I, i'm pretty sure on the wall there's a stadium diagram of shea Right behind Carbone over his shoulder, like I'm, you know, like they they did a really good job of making it look like a Queens bar that the mob hung out at. If there and was also, a mob. it's it's shaped in such a way that it actually works great for filming. If you think yeah. about those scenes, we're gonna walk. We'll talk about them later this week, but. You know, you come in the door and you see straight down. You can see everybody and everything, mm-hmm. and it works in this in this minute. You can see as you know, Stacks walks around. You know, it's all right there, yeah. so you can either film from one side or the other, and it's a it's a perfect space. Yeah. By the way, I know you guys probably know this, but uh, if you go to go to YouTube and Google Nears Tavern, Google or type in Google uh, Nears Tavern, the second thing that you'll see is some rare footage of them filming Goodfellas outside of Nears Tavern. So all the neighbors are like gathered outside watching, and you see pretty much every scene being filmed. It's kind of oh, awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Oh, Neat. I didn't know that. I think we have to go there. I, yes. I, I would like to go here now, actually. <laughs> to Woodhaven? It's in Woodhaven. I was going to say, like, what that? <laughs> They're really now locking us in for the night at that cavern. Well, the funny thing is, you could this video you see because it's of course they're you know they're making the movie and was it 1989? Yep. It makes you realize how much how costumey everyone actually is because when you're in the world of the movie, it doesn't seem like that. But then when you see them sort of like interacting with the neighbors and the neighbors are all like you know wearing. Uh, I guess striped jogging pants. <laughs> yeah, similar, <laughs> similar ensembles, similar to that. Anyway, it's it's a gem. Not that I spent any time in Queens. I would just say that <laughs> if if I was home on Long Island, I would take the Grand Central to the Jackie Robinson Parkway. 
and then get on Woodhaven Boulevard to get to near. So I'm just let me like, ask you this: what time, of, what time of day would be best to do that? Well, you don't want to do it during rush hour. That's for sure. So anytime <laughs> between seven and seven, you've got a window between one thirty p.m. and two thirty p.m. where you can get by without traffic. But only on a couple days. Yeah, yeah only on don't, Thursday. Only on Thursday. Do yeah, don't do it on Wednesday. <laughs> on Friday, definitely not. Jackie Robinson is terrifying. <laughs> it's the most terrifying highway in the really world. Is. Why is that wall there? Oh yeah. So so yeah, so we're here at the tavern and we, we get introduced to the to the crew that Jimmy put together for the biggest heist in American history. And my fun fact for the, the, the episode is that at, when the movie came out, the Lufthansa heist was the biggest heist in American history at that time. Or no, when, when it happened, it was the biggest heist of all time. But do you guys know what the largest heist as of today is? Oh. The one from Heat? It is, it, it is the... Oh. Shane? It, it, is the, it is the Dunbar armored robbery in L.A., 1997, $18.9 million in cash was stolen from Dunbar um, armor trucks. Well, hold on. Sure that wasn't the one from Heat? I think it was is. Was it? Yeah. It might have been the one. If you adjust for inflation, the Lufthansa heist is still bigger. Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't adjust for inflation. Okay. The old gone for the gone, gone with the wind. Uh, nobody problem. ever adjusts for inflation when they when they compare things over time. The it's, Dunbar the Dunbar robbery is is twenty seven point nine million dollars today. Either way, wow. either way, De Niro was involved with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lufthansa heist was five point eight seven five million or twenty one million dollars today, Connor. Adjusted for inflation. I don't know. I can't confirm that. We'll do we'll, when we do the Heat Minute podcast. We can talk about that. <laughs> oh, wow. We're not doing that. That movie's like seven hours long. Um, really interesting. I would love to to hear that. I'll I'll check in. Oh, I'll God. check in, in the year two thousand twenty three when you're in the second hour. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of recovery after this one. <laughs> yeah. Do we do we want to talk about the crew? Might as well. Yes. All right. So you got he he calls him out. It's basically a second roll call here. Yeah. It goes down the line. You've got Henry, Jimmy, Maury, Tommy. Carbone, who's referred to by his last name, which I like. Frenchie, still around. Joe Buddha, new guy. New. Buddha. Johnny Roast Beef, new guy. Best. And Stax Edwards, who would go on to have a career. And everybody loves Stax. Everybody yeah. loves Stax. That's as much as we know now. <laughs> Tomorrow you'll learn more. Let's talk about Joe Buddha real quick. Okay. Uh, we're going we're gonna to spread it out. All right. Let's, let's, out. We'll let's talk let's about Johnny Roast Beef later uh-huh. in a week when he gets in trouble. <laughs> Joe Buddha. Which I love. I love that nickname. It was he was nicknamed because he had a fat belly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by Clem Caserta, who uh, you you might be surprised to learn played a lot of lobsters in his career. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. Of his twenty credits, I can't find any that aren't either Hitman or uh, Wise Guy or Bodyguard. He was in The Untouchables. He was in Mad Dog Glory. He was in Casino, A Bronx Tale. Generally speaking, this movie locked down a lot of people's careers into very like defined. Rid, you know, like holes exactly. It dug a lot of ruts. Yes, it did. <laughs> this is Clem Caserta up for the role of wise guy. What were you in before Clem? I played uh, Joe Buddha. Okay, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, well, I guess we'll talk about Stacks since he's in this minute more than the next. Do you want the real life uh, Joe Buddha? Sure, go ahead. So, so in real life, Joe Buddha was a guy by the name of Joe Manry. Okay, uh, M A N R I. And uh, he was, uh, uh, his family actually ironically came from Pittsburgh um, and then moved to New York. (laughs) And he was best friends with Frenchie in real life as well. That's right. That's right. Yep. So uh, the the shot here of them playing that shuffleboard or whatever it is, uh, basically, and I think Henry said it in the book and Henry Hill said it in the book, Wise Guy, wherever you saw uh, Joe Buddha, Frenchie wasn't far behind. 
And, you know, he worked in Jimmy Burks' crew, and he was particularly known for stealing cars and uh, getting them, you know, and fencing them and then getting them crushed. Which is ironic, because with the big belly, you think he would be able to fit behind the wheel. You would think that, yeah. Big cars back then. Yeah, big cars. cars. Yeah, none of these people really seem like they could commit a crime, actually. Honestly. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. That's about it on Joe You've Mon- been wondering about that the entire time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but, if uh, you could withstand that guy's beating for, say, three minutes, that's probably all most of them have in them. <laughs> it's a high-carb diet. They're heavy. Oh, I don't know. When you pay off the cops, you don't have to run from them. Yep. There's a lot of rich meals eaten in this movie. It's true. Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, so I mean, he did a lot of low-level car stuff. He, him, and Henry actually uh, used to steal airline tickets with stolen credit cards. I'll get to that in a second. But his biggest, the biggest hit of his career was uh, the Lufthansa heist. So there you go. Well, I, I imagine that's for everyone, unless they were also involved in the robbery in L.A. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not, it's not math, Ron. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to spoil the movie, but we find out later on that they weren't. So, oh, but they, okay. <laughs> so Stax Edwards. So Stax Edwards, you may recognize, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who uh, not, he's done a couple of indie films since then. <laughs> not terribly famous at this point, though. This no. is. Actually, I just saw him in The Hateful Eight last night. Up until this past week, was he had the highest all-time box office gross, but Harrison Ford passed him back yeah. with, wow. uh, with The Force Awakens. But he, his films have averaged $70 million per wow. prolific actor. He's a native of Washington, D.C. He's actually 67 years old and looks great for it. Wonderful in The Hateful Eight. If you, if you haven't seen that yet, check it out. Former crack addict. Yeah, he's, one, he's actually one of those actors who came to uh, prominence later in his life. Yeah. yeah, he did a lot of small roles. You, you may, you know, he's the, he was Stax Edwards here. He was the robber in Coming to America. Like he had a lot of those kind of mm-hmm. one-off roles until he, I guess, really blew up with Pulp Fiction. Oh, I thought it was Jurassic Park. No, but even no, Jurassic Park is sort of a one-off Jurassic. role. Yeah, it's a yeah one great line. <laughs> it's a great line. It's, just, <laughs> it's a good line. But uh, he really sort of blew, blew up with Pulp Fiction when he was, you know, his, his real starring role, and his, yeah. his he's not looked back since. Yeah. Every time you turn around, he's in another movie. He has a hard time saying no. Well, he's he's so lithe in this movie. Like he's so like yeah, winnowy and lithe and thin. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see him in this phase in his career, knowing the hundreds of things that we would see him in later that would define his image. And so this is just sort of like a little tiny window into what he would become. So this is and, filmed in eighty nine. Same year, same year as another great role that he had as Mister Senior Love Daddy in Do the Right Thing. Yeah, that was an, another role. This an, time. Another great New York movie. Well, what's interesting is he's basically forty years old here. Jeez, he's this. He's you know he's a he's a persistent story. You stick with it. You yeah. and one day you will also have the highest box office total. Well, Everybody and, loves stacks. And, and it's well, I, well. Before we get to that, it's interesting that Josh mentioned Samuel Jackson's former drug use because in real life. The character Stax Edwards was a, a gentleman by the name of Parnell Stephen Edwards, also known as Stax, and he was actually a heroin addict who was uh, very adept at credit card fraud. He had friends in banks. Everybody and has like a that. skill. Yep. Is we're learning. He was known for he would rent a, he would get a panel truck and go to the mall or a shopping center and buy max out a credit card just within a couple of dollars of its limit. So if he had a credit card with a fifty dollar limit, he'd spend forty seven dollars. That's an and, art. And Don't tell yourself it's not. And he'd fill <laughs> exactly. And he'd fill he'd and he'd fill the the truck with the stuff and then take it back to uh, Jimmy's crew and they they would fence it. They would sell the stuff. And now keep in mind, this is the late '60s, early '70s. So it's not like 
you you find out your credit card's gone, you call a number, it's immediately shut down. Like there could be like a month before the the target knew the credit card was right, sold. You get your bill and then oh yep. shit. Exactly. Now what's interesting and what I thought was really interesting was that he was actually brought into the crew by Tommy D. Simone, which is the person that Joe Pesci's character is a pastiche of. And now if you remember earlier in the movie when Joe Pesci is Tommy uh, had some negative things to say about Nat King Cole and and yeah. <laughs> right. Ironically, the real life Tommy De Simone was one of the few guys in the mafia, if there was a mafia, who believed in integration. And when he met Stacks on the street playing jazz music, he brought him to Roberts and gave him work because he thought that they should have some black guys around. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing! Isn't that isn't that fascinating? So, wait, you know what? Yeah. Earlier, they really did a disservice to Tommy De Simone, yeah. which you would think yeah. would be a difficult thing to do, right? Well, he was he was a mix a of Tommy and Polly Junior. So maybe Polly Junior yeah. had. Uh... Yeah, yeah, Joe, yeah. Joe Pesci's character is like it says a pastiche. It's a little bit of the real life Tommy D. Simone, a little bit of uh, Paul Vario's son, so Peter. One thing that the movie doesn't like necessarily reinforce, although I th- I think in the next minute it gives a hint to this, which is for this heist because it was so much more complicated. They had to bring in other like people that they didn't normally work with. Yep. And so before it was like a very tight knit group. So they knew that no one would snitch. They knew that everyone would do what they said they were going to do. But with this one, they brought in all of these different people. And that's, you know, if you, if you're like, if you're managing a crime and you're looking back and you're evaluating this, that's sort of like what the major problem would eventually be is the fact that it's like, well, we have all these uncertain people. We're inviting them in because they have talents of certain kinds, but we don't trust them. Yes. So, yeah. So I've got, I've got the rundown of the real life crew that did it. So we're in the movie. We see it's Tommy Carbone, Frenchie Joe Buddha, Johnny Roast Beef and Stacks. What the crew that was really put together. Uh, So Tommy uh, DeSimone and Joe Manry, also known as Joe Buddha, they were the outside gunmen. Then Angelo Seppi, who is the analog of Josh. Uh, Frank Carbone. Frankie Carbone, correct. Angelo Seppi and Anthony Rodriguez, who was Angelo Seppi's ex-brother-in-law. So nice that they stayed in touch. Uh, <laughs> like that's, such a, that's such a detail that he was always oh, his ex-brother-in-law. <laughs> anyway, um, they were the inside gunmen. Then there was Fat Louis Cafora, who is actually who Johnny Roast Beef is based on. And that was Jimmy uh, – and then Stax Edwards. That was Jimmy's main crew – but in addition to that, because the heist was happening on JFK, which technically wasn't Lucchese crime family turf at the time anymore, it was Gambino and Bonanno. They had to allow some of the Gambino and Bonanno crews to have people be involved in the heist. So Paolo Lacastri, who was a Sicilian gunman, he was, a, he was in a, you know, a, a gunman. going for being a gunman, he was there to represent the Gambino's interest in the heist. Okay, and then um, on the Bonanno side of things, they didn't send anyone. But when the heist was all done, Jimmy had to give his cut to Polly, which was actually given to Polly's son Peter, and then he had to give a cut to uh, the head of the Bonanno's crew that looked over the uh, the airport, who was Vinny Asaro. Just acquitted for the robbery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was literally just acquitted for the robbery. So. <laughs> two months ago right i mean it's it's so amazing it's still in the news yeah so uh so those are the real people involved maybe the jurors didn't read the book (laughs) well (laughs) one of one of our listeners wrote in and they were considered to be on the jury and they mentioned that they listened to this podcast and they did not get selected so maybe they didn't (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but that just underscores like all of these different hands, right? So there's like 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 dozens. It seems like there's like dozens of people involved, and so it's just so sad when you at the beginning of this minute when you know Maury is just talking about like this is finally going to be it for him, right? And he's going to mm-hmm. be able to retire, right? And you're just like. He's like old Gil from The Simpsons. He really is, <laughs> and, and and it's fun. It's funny because in, in I don't book, feel bad for him. <laughs> in, in the book, in, in Wise Guy, you know, Henry talks about how much Jimmy hated hated Maury, and basically what happened was is that Henry, you know, Maury or Martin told Henry about the the possibility of the heist. Henry brought it to Jimmy. The three of them met, and then as soon as Maury or Martin got out of earshot, Jimmy told Henry to get the phone number of the Lewis Werner guy from Lutansa and talk to him. Like he, they 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 were trying to cut Maury out at at the earliest point. Oh man, which oh, just makes man. sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, are are we getting are we done with this one? Are we are we finishing up with this this part? We should wrap this minute up. We should. Yeah, okay. I'm so, trying the to, one I'm last point I have that I just I just want to bring up is that I would like to have seen even as an outtake uh, them filming all of these guys sitting there watching Stax play guitar. Oh. <laughs> You know, I, yeah, I feel like there's got to be on the cutting room floor, like, just even just a scene with him with a guitar in his hands. Even but, like, they're all, but just, I just want you to picture them all, like, looking at him. Playing jazz. Like, kind of nodding their heads, and he's, like, making eye contact with them. Like, look at this lick. Well, I, st- I still want to know. We'll never know the reason. I did a lot of research trying to understand it, but I want to know, why does everyone love stacks? He's probably funny and personable. Yeah. Playing guitar. <laughs> Yeah. Well, even in the seventies, you wanted to have a black friend, right? <laughs> yeah, and they felt just, and they felt justified in their horrible racist jokes. <laughs> just a guess. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, any other observations for this minute? Yeah, oh, the fuck it. count is one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy mutters it under his breath as they're doing the pan by. Oh, yeah. Not mutters it, but he's, he's, he's talking. He's talking to Carbone, but you, you know, it's underneath the voiceover. Oh yeah, because they're all watching this basketball game, of which Johnny Roseby says it's a lock. That's a that's a oh I didn't want to mention that's a BC game. Oh, interesting. That's a, if you look at the colors and you can kind. I looked really close to try to make out and there was a, a big the whole story the whole story in uh, Wise Guy which really didn't make this movie was the was his point fixing right uh, and that's, that was that's what he was that's what Henry was actually busy with when the ice was going down. We'll right. But yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that when he's in the shower. Yeah, okay. So. Yep. Right. And, then I know, and then I know that you guys talked about this probably the, from the last two minutes, but I just had to make note of the extraordinary. Gold wallpaper that I mean, you guess is the last scene you get to see in that particular, particularly wonderful living room. So, um, I just wonderful is a word for it. I'd love to find that gold leaf somewhere and just do one one room in my house a tribute Goodfellas room with the with that a slide away um, entertainment center and the gold. Well, that's a great idea, actually. I thought I might, I might steal that. Guys, you, no, yes, no. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for minute ninety-one. So, Greg, uh, where can folks find you on social media, they, on your 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 podcast and your personal stuff? Well, our podcast, Barry Boys New York City History, can be found on iTunes and wherever you get podcasts, wherever you got this podcast. Uh, Barry Boys History is our website. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Barry Boys. Excellent. And you can find us at Goodfellas Min on Twitter and Goodfellas Minute on Instagram and Facebook. And you can go to goodfellasminute.com to find all our previous episodes, as well as links to where you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash GFM. Or you go to goodfellasminute.com slash support where you can shop via Amazon. You can buy... Uh, 
the Goodfellas Blu-ray or the Wise Guy book um, or the upcoming Bowery Boys book. I believe that, that that should be available on Amazon, right, Kirk? That'll be on Amazon in May. Excellent. Uh, called The Adventures of Old New York. Oh, I can't wait. All right. More expensive item. <laughs> yeah, or, or buy or buy a TV. <laughs> or buy a TV. Yeah. So, and if you have any questions or anything to note, you can email us at contacts at goodfellowsminute.com. And until tomorrow, I'm going to go watch a basketball game. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is up.